0: You're listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. Going through Uncensored. I need some help. I have a question. It's a question that many of you probably think I struggle with. The question is, what seasoning, if any, does a steak need to be perfectly seasoned. How many of you say it's just salt? We actually had a number of folks in the first service say it was just salt. How many of you would say it's salt and pepper? A whole bunch of you Texans. Yeah, a whole bunch of you Texans. All right, maybe, um, uh, so when I was in Frederick and I was a pastor there, um, uh, the, one of our trustees swore by putting garlic salt And uh, half a thing of butter. I mean, just butter just dripping off of it. Um, Obviously, every one of you is wrong. Every perfect steak needs some ketchup, right? Come on! I just lost the entire crowd. I haven't even begun yet. Amen. All I gotta say is, don't knock it till you try it. Today we're uh, we're looking at a message entitled, you see it, Perfect Seasoning. We aren't talking about steak, but how God has perfectly positioned each and every one of us to handle this season of our lives. Whether you're married, single, dating, or engaged, this is the perfect season for God to accomplish His will through your life. Being single is an interesting season of our lives. People are very quick, especially if you are a part of a church and there's older ladies in the church. They are very quick to give you their opinion on who you should pursue to date. July 31st, 2004, my best friend got married. We were a part of the same church, so a lot of church people were there. He was marrying my oldest friend, Um, Melissa, and I grew up in the same church, she Um, was in the same nursery with me, and so it was um, a great day. And I remember after the wedding, some of the folks went to the reception, and during the reception, I had all of these well-meaning, wonderful older ladies come up to me and say, Andrew, I just know you're next. And then they would give me the information for one of their granddaughters. And usually, that would be accompanied with a picture. And I just had the thought, they must have a wonderful personality. Come on. <laughs> My wife said I shouldn't say that, but I had to add it. Um, um, and so, you know, when you're single, people lose at least a little bit of a sense of boundaries. We all know this. This, this happens. And it seems to get worse as we get older, right? Right. Um, And so as the years have gone by, this wasn't a big thing when I was looking for uh, my wife. But today it definitely is. You have these dating sites, websites, dating apps. And I have heard horror stories about some of the things that have happened. And, you know, not just physical harm or things like that. But um, just some of the dates that people, people are weird I mean, just some of the things that people go through trying to find love, it's a shame. So, being your pastor, I thought I'd help. <laughs> are you worried? It sounds like you're worried. <laughs> I thought I'd help. Um, and so, there are, if you go to one of those websites and you want to do that, I actually think there's some folks in our church that have found their love, through uh, one of those dating sites but if you do that there's some things to be on the lookout for so if you know when you read the descriptions of people many times people have a very high opinion of themselves higher than they should this happened on Facebook a couple of years when they gave us the option to make our own avatar I had a whole bunch of people that were completely wrong anybody else I had a whole bunch of people that I thought they looked like Tom Cruise a whole bunch of ladies that I thought they looked like Farrah Fawcett and none of that was true Um, And so when you go to these sites, you need to read between the lines, all right? So if a woman says in an online ad, I'm 40-ish, what that means is she's 49 and a half. (laughs) If a gentleman says that he's 40-ish, that means he's 52 and looking for a (laughs) 25-year-old. Run away, ladies. Run away. If a man says that he's huggable that means he's carrying a couple extra pounds and has more body hair than Bigfoot. If a woman says she's romantic, that has to mean that she looks better by candlelight. Come on. If a man says that I'm laid back and I'm very close with my family, you know that means he still lives with mama. He's unemployed and he hopes that you have a really good job. If a woman says, I'm bubbly and fun, that means she never shuts up. We know it's true. Instead of listening to me about being single, I think we can all agree we need to go to the word of God. Um, I want to set up the message today. We're gonna, our, our text starts in chapter 6, verse number 18. But we're going to look at a couple of pre- uh, preceding verses that I think will help us frame how we want to view what we're going to be talking about today. Verse number 9 of chapter 6 says this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? It's impossible. Nobody that is unrighteous can inherit the kingdom of God. And so you know, that's all of us. It's all of us. Romans tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. That's all of us. But then the Apostle Paul lists a number of different identities to give examples. He says, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What a list. What you need to know is not exhaustive. This doesn't cover every person that doesn't get to go to heaven. This Paul's throwing some out there, saying these types of people don't get to inherit the kingdom of God. And this kind of presents a problem. Because if I were to ask everyone in the room, do you believe you're going to heaven when you die? If you believe that your inheritance is the kingdom of God, most of us would raise their hand. And so this presents a cultural issue in the United States of America today. And it sets us up for this us versus them sort of mentality. The us are those that um, them think are over the moral bar. So the people in the world... Think that we think that we have lifted ourselves up by our bootstraps, done all the work to clean ourselves up, and now we live hoity-toity above the moral bar. And that we look down on everyone that is under that moral bar. But this passage reveals what I hope every single person here has this mindset. We in our church... Do not believe that we dusted ourselves off, we cleaned ourselves up, and then we hoisted ourselves by our bootstraps over this moral bar, and now we get the credit for good living. We don't believe that at a fundamental level. What we believe is found in the next verse. Verse number 11 says, and such were some of you. I love that. Man, that gets me excited. You know what that means? That means I, uh, that the people in the Corinthian church were a whole bunch of used-tos. The things that they used to do, for some reason, we haven't been given that answer yet, they don't do it anymore. The stuff that they used to struggle with, they no longer struggle with anymore. The sins that they used to be identified by, they are no longer identified by those things. How is this? Paul tells us. But ye are washed... But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what the tense is? The tense is showing us that this isn't something that we did on our own. In fact, kind of reading between lines, you see that we're not able to do this by ourselves. But that there is a third party, a different agent that came in and washed us clean. That there was somebody else that sanctified us, that there was somebody else that came in and gave us the justification that we could never earn, and that someone is the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> Hear me, friend. In our church, our message isn't we are better than you, our message is simply we have, been re- we have received the grace of God, and you can too. That's it. So this message today shouldn't be viewed through the lens of us versus them. This should be viewed through the lens of God's amazing grace. So let's look at verse number 18. It says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife that uh, due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his own Proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. Let's pray. God, we bow before you this morning, grateful for your word. Lord, as we go through this passage, I pray that you'll open up areas of our lives that we need to confess, repent. And get right with you. For those here that may not know you, I pray today through the preaching of the gospel that they'll come into relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, for this passage. I pray that it speaks to every heart and mind. I pray that it conforms us to your will. In your name I pray. Amen. Three uh, different points this morning. Number one, single but not alone. We live in a culture today that preaches just a terrible message to singles. Absolutely terrible. Um, We see this starting out at a very young age. It starts with Disney movies. We all grew up on Disney movies back when you could actually watch them as children, you know. (laughs) Uh, We all grew up on them. And usually they followed a similar pattern, especially back in the day. There is a prince who is lonely and unhappy, there is a princess who is lonely and unhappy. That is, until they find each other and they complete one another. Then they get married, and that's usually where the film ends. Have you ever wondered why those fairy tales always end at the wedding? What kind of message is that preaching to our children? But then it ends, and right before the credits would roll, most of those old Disney movies ended with a little saying, you know it. You know it, that says... And they lived happily ever after. What is the subtle lesson we learned in stories like this? You can't be happy if you're alone. Because they lived happily ever after. I have three myths in this point. I want to give you the first one. The first myth is my life plus someone else equals happiness. Our culture communicates That if we can just find the right person, then I can be happy about my life. Singles are faced with this all the time, but so are married people. Married folks believe, and many of them believe, maybe some married folks here believe, that if their spouse that they have currently isn't making them happy, I must have found the uh, the wrong one so I can get rid of that spouse until I find the person that makes me happy. Um, Brother Adair was my pastor for a while. I was his youth pastor. He had a policy, and I think it's a good policy, that he wouldn't counsel women alone. And so if a woman came up for counsel, I had to go in there if his wife wasn't at the church. There was a particular time where this happened. This woman who was a church member came in and said, I need to talk to you. I'm going to leave my husband. And as they began to talk, she actually looked at Brother Adair and said, I'm going to leave him because this other man... Makes me happy. Friends, contentment only comes through Jesus Christ. It can never depend on anyone else. Paul, who was single, said this in the book of Philippians, not that I speak in respect of want, because I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content therein. It's only through Christ That we can find true contentment. Myth number two. Single people must be lonely and incomplete. Um, This happens all the time. People will say, I have to find my other half. Married people will say, there's my better half. That's uh, my wife. She's my better half. But what does that really imply? Maybe it's because we misread portions of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 it says things like, they shall be one flesh, um, things like that. that. But we have to understand that passages like that aren't talking about that those halves add up to become one whole. No. Merrily isn't my other half. I am not her other half. I am one whole person. She is one whole person. When we married, we became one. The paradox of marriage is in marriage, one plus one equals one. But notice there are no fractions in use. And if you're single, you need to know one is a whole number. Adam was a whole person, and so was Eve. And this myth can be destructive if we internalize it and it becomes a part of our identity. I'm single, I'm alone, I'm incomplete. I I can't be complete until I find my spouse, we'll tell ourselves. Or I will always live a life of loneliness until I marry. Imagine the destructive cycle that this creates. We begin a fruitless search, trying to find people that measure up to our ever-changing standards. But then if we can't find that person, we settle for something much less and usually someone that we know isn't right. Then we um, try to sell ourselves out to keep the person that we have so they don't leave us. But eventually it breaks apart following this pattern and we have to start the pattern over and over again. This pursuit won't ever end because another human being cannot complete you. Only Jesus can. Amen. Colossians 2 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Many believe that marriage is the key to defeating loneliness in their lives. But there are single people here today who are not lonely. And there are married people here today who are very lonely. Marriage doesn't cure loneliness. Only a God-created community can defeat loneliness. This is one reason God made the church. Amen. That's a good spot to say amen. Aren't you grateful for your church? Amen. Amen. If you leave this place feeling alone that's completely on you. There are more than enough people that are here right now who you can form relationships with. We read it during our worship set. Proverbs 18 says a person who has friends must show themselves friendly. It may take you Staying just a little bit longer after church services and talking to somebody face to face and saying, my name is fill in the blank. I know we don't do this anymore, but I promise you it still works. You know what it will take? It will take you stopping the habit of right when the preacher says amen at the end of the service, running out the door. I promise you, your favorite restaurant's not going to run out of food. It might be really expensive, but they're not going to run out of food. Listen to me, friend. The thing that I'm trying to reveal to you is that while you are here, the relationships that you make could literally change your life and theirs. Serving together will also help you build relationships. I promise you, I've seen more relationships and friendships form in our church, not just because we sit next to each other for an hour, but because we serve next to each other for an hour. Some of you have formed lifetime friendships just because you served other people together. The best version of you has always been and will always be surrounded by other godly people. Every single time. If you are lonely today, you can cure it today. Amen. Myth number three. I have to find the right person to marry. That's kind of loaded. Let me explain. Women are told from a very young age, and I believe men are told this as well, that they have to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. The implication is that if the, once they find that person... But then it doesn't work out, um, or if they don't make you complete, or if everything's not all right, is that you can just dump them because you obviously didn't find the right one. Then you could go find a different one and then repeat the pattern over and over and over again. When we are single, we believe the goal of our lives is to find the right person. Friend, that has never been and will never be the goal of your life. This is one of the most immature ways to find a person to marry. Please note, I am not telling you to find the wrong person today. That is the opposite of what I'm trying to say. But I am saying it's naive to think that the right person has to equal no problems, no fighting, and no arguments. I promise you, if you get married, there's going to be all three. Here's the truth. Life, love, marriage, and just sharing life together are difficult no matter who you end up with. Um, I'm glad not everybody said amen right there. (laughs) It's always going to be difficult, but here's the truth. Relationships will highlight your flaws. All you want to do is get married, but then after you get married, you realize there's lots of things that change, and they need to change. I mean, think about it. If you struggle with finances before you're married, getting married is not going to help. You're going to struggle even more. They're going to see your spending problems. They're going to see your debt. It's just going to highlight those flaws. Um, if, you, uh, the, if you have problems with sex before you get married, getting married is not going to fix that. I guarantee it. If, if your bathroom etiquette is terrible before you get married, getting married is not going to fix it. Can I get some ladies' amen this morning? The way you chew your food. Is going to drive your spouse nuts. It may be cute when you're dating, it's no longer cute after five years of marriage. The sad thing is, people do this with church too. I gotta find the perfect church. Friend, there is no such thing. There is not a perfect church anywhere. Most certainly our church. Do you know why our church is imperfect? Because I'm your pastor, and I am imperfect. Right? I put ketchup on my steak. Right? Every, that's the loudest amen I've gotten today. <laughs> I'm imperfect. Do you know why our church isn't perfect? Because of you. None of you are perfect. You're going to come to our church and think, man, this is the greatest church I've ever been a part of. And then the honeymoon period's going to end. And you're going to realize this church has some pretty big problems. We do. We probably will always. Hear me, friend. You're not going to find a perfect person. You're not going to find a perfect church. But this passage gives us a couple of things for singles to know. The first thing it tells us is that we need to see our singleness as good. Paul actually said in verse number 8, It is good for a man not to marry. The word good means acceptable, beautiful, and honorable these are words of life to those who have ever felt shamed by others in your singleness friend jesus was single the apostle paul was single and both of did both of them did an awful lot of good the jewish culture would teach wrongfully that if a man was single and at the age of 20 he was sinning but here the apostle paul who was single at the time says that it's good for you to be single just as I am single he would repeat this emphasis in verse number 26 and he would highlight the emphasis with um um, widows in verse number 40 he gives his input that says singleness is good but he goes even further in verse number seven he says that singleness is also a gift Verse 24 backs up that point. Singleness is a good thing because it's a gift from God himself. The word gift in verse number 7 is the same word that is used extensively in chapters 12 through 14. Where the apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts. This word denotes a free gift of grace given to a person. Paul is teaching that marriage is a grace gift and singleness is a grace gift. Really what Paul is saying is that whatever season you're in is the perfect season for you. What this means is that if you're single right now, you have the gift of singleness. That doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have that gift your entire life, but that right now God has given to you a present in the present. God may change your assignment or he may make you learn to be content with being single singleness may be a gift but sex is meant for marriage avoid the hookup culture that our world has created choose to wait until the day that you get married for parents and teenagers for parents of teenagers and for teenagers i want to give you three tips these are not tips that i made These are not tips that even necessarily come from the Bible, though I think principles are there. Um, These are tips that our world has created to share with teenagers to ensure that they become at least middle class, that they avoid poverty. So to avoid poverty, our world tells us that they at least need to graduate from high school. I think that's wise. Get your education. The second thing is that they need to get a full-time job after graduation. If you do those two things, your chances of getting out of poverty or um, staying out of poverty rise significantly. But the biggest barometer for getting out of poverty, for getting past um, low income and all of these different things that so many struggle with today, was waiting to have children until they were 21 years old. Isn't it interesting that the principles that we find in our Bible don't just make us right with God. They make for good living as well. Well, What is being taught here by psychologists and sociologists is that if children have enough wisdom to educate themselves, have enough wisdom to work hard, and if they have enough wisdom to wait at least until they're 21, that they have at least a good chance getting out of poverty and making it into the middle class. We would take that obviously a step farther and sociologists would actually back us up. Because if a person waits until they're married to have children, if a person waits until after they're set and they've established their relationship with the marriage covenant and they wait until them, they are almost inevitably going to have success in life. Isn't that interesting? That the word of God... Is being backed up by socialists and psychologists today. Research shows that American adults who followed just those three simple rules, only about 2% are in poverty today. Nearly 75% have joined the middle class, and it's over 90% if they wait till they're married to have children. There are surely influences other than those three principles at play, but following them guides teenagers from poverty to the middle class. But consider the alternative. Three out of ten teenage American girls will get pregnant before they turn 19. That's nearly uh, three-quarters of a million teenage girls in America every single year. Parenthood is the leading reason that teenage girls drop out of school More than half of teen mothers never graduate from high school. Less than 2% of teenage moms earn a college degree by age 30. About a quarter of teenage moms have a second child within two years of the first. Eight out of ten, listen to me ladies, 80% of teenage young men don't marry the mother of their child and many do little to nothing by way of supporting the child that teaches me two things number 1 ladies you will build you will carry the burden of that mistake more than a man just the way our culture runs two parents we need to raise better men come on y'all we need to raise better men We need to teach our children that this isn't just about being right with God, though that should be the main reason why we do anything, but that this will affect the rest of their entire life why they're here. So singles, don't wait to live. Start living right now. You aren't in a season of waiting. You're in a season of gifting. Don't stress about relationship goals and start living out some singleness goals. Go on a mission trip. Use your extra income to move mountains for those in need. Celebrate your singleness, whether it's a temporary gift or God has something permanent for you in that season. Live a life of undivided devotion to the Lord right now. Number two, develop godly character. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6. It says this, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem. It's on my bucket list. I would love to get to go. And really, the thing that I want to see the most is the temple. I would love to walk from uh, south of Jerusalem up that hill and get to see it as the sun hits that dome. I've heard, talked about a little bit yesterday, how beautiful it is. Back in Jesus' day, when uh, the people of God saw the temple, they thought about their God. They were made to recall that there is a God in heaven who loves sinners and has made a way for their redemption. These bodies that we have today are now called the temple of God. And they are a witness to the world that all of us have been redeemed. Every time the world sees a child of God, they see a manifestation of the power and the grace of Almighty God. That should be our hope. This is why Paul referred to the Corinthian believers in his uh, epistle uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he calls them his epistle. Paul is telling them that everywhere they turn, everywhere they go, they are living, breathing love letters to humanity. Letters that say to sinners, what God has done for me, God can do for you. Friends, as believers, we should be the embodiment of the character of our God. And when it comes to our relationships, whether it's friendships, Dating relationships, business partners, but most certainly when we're searching for a spouse, the most important quality they should have is godly character. The very first quality that should draw us to each other is godly character. The bottom line is, if you want a godly marriage one day, live a godly life today. That's where you start. You start with godly character. Now, some of you are saying, "Well, I want a Christian guy, but the problem is, I always seem to attract the wrong kind of guy. He only ever wants one thing." And I would say, as respectively as I can, if you don't like the fish you're catching, change your bait. Change your bait. Listen, I promise you, if Jesus is first in every area of your life. It's going to affect the way you carry yourself. And when godly character reigns in your life, ungodly people aren't going to want you. My second fishing metaphor? Yeah, so that means there's more than one. Get your hook in the water. If you want to find someone to marry, go to places where single people are. Be faithful to attend church services regularly. You literally have no idea when your spouse is going to walk through those doors. Can I prove it to you? I told you July thirty first 2004, my best friend got married. All of those old ladies showed me all the pictures of their granddaughters. I went to bed that night feeling very lonely. My best friend had married my oldest friend, and I had nobody. I don't know about you, but maybe some of you, on Tuesday, didn't celebrate Valentine's Day, right? You celebrated Single Awareness Day, right? <laughs> um, and you feel very lonely. I felt like that on that Saturday night in 2004. I had no idea. I actually thought about when I got up that day. I'm not going to go to church today. I had no idea, though, that when I walked to church and when I went from building to building, I would see Marilee Adair at the time walking up our parking lot. You see, her dad used to be a member of the church my dad is a pastor at. Her grandma lived about a mile from our church, and she was up in Michigan visiting her grandma. And she walked in that day. I had no idea just 12 hours after I left that reception I would meet my future wife. Listen to me, friend. You have no idea what could happen. And I don't know about you, but the best place to meet a spouse is at church. But if you can't do that, if that doesn't work out, can I just impress upon you? Maybe go to a Christian seminary. I promise you, as someone that has been and graduated from a Christian seminary, there's something in the water. You will meet your spouse, and two months you will be married later. You know what I'm talking about? It happens. Go to where single people are that are good, godly, Christian people. I would argue all day long that a great marriage isn't so much about finding the right person as it is about becoming the right person. You become godly, and then you're going to attract godly people. A pastor said, become the person uh, who you're looking for is looking for. You're sitting there and you're hoping that the person that you're going to meet that's going to change your life, you're hoping that they're getting all of their stuff together. They're getting their life together. Friend, they're hoping the exact same thing for you. I would argue that this is a principle that we need to teach our children as they grow up. The principle is this. Healthy marriages are built long before your wedding long before. I should be becoming the person my spouse is looking for today. Men, women, it is not your future spouse's job to fix you. Work on your finances now. If you have debt, get out of debt. Learn to take care of yourself today. Learn how to cook. Learn how to clean. Balance a checkbook. Pay your own bills. Find a hobby. Be faithful to church, Bible study, and prayer. We are to run towards personal development. I need to be a better person to attract better people. If we expect our spouses to develop as a person, we should be doing it too. Some more dating advice. The most important dating advice. I shouldn't settle for anyone who isn't already a Christian. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, "Be, uh, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath unrighteousness with, or what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. Don't settle for someone who doesn't believe like you do. And only date Christians committed to growing in their relationship with Christ. All because he goes to church or all because she attends every now and then doesn't mean they're actively trying to grow their faith. Can I give you some other dating advice? If applicable, ask your parents for help. I know it sounds strange, right, asking mama and daddy, but I promise you they have an opinion, and their opinion is probably pretty spot on. Number three, double date. Don't be alone with someone you're dating. Number four, make it clear to them up front that you intend to wait until you're married. Ooh, it got quiet. (laughs) Number five, don't move in together. Until you're married. Dating is a marriage. But only date those who you can marry. Ask them lots of questions. How do they handle money? Do they even know what a savings account is? How many kids do they want to have? How do they plan on disciplining your children? Observe how they treat their parents. What they uh, are like when you fight. How angry they become. But above all else, seek uh, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. Number three, be faithful to holy standards. Paul begins chapter 7 by addressing the virtues of celibacy. The word touch in verse 1 doesn't refer to just casual contact. It's obviously okay to shake a woman's hand, give a side hug but it refers to a touch that stimulates. His reference is to sexual stimulation. His argument is that people would be more fully devoted to the Lord without added devotion to the mate. That's really the point of the first part of this chapter. However, he says that in an effort to avoid fornication, in an effort to avoid illicit sexual activity, a person should enter into a marriage relationship instead. This admonition reveals two very important principles that we need to talk about. Number one... Sexual desires in their right place are not evil. Every man and woman has been given those sexual desires by God himself. It is helpful to understand that these desires are not wrong. In fact, they are a good thing. The Bible calls the marriage bed honorable. It is good. Hey, husband, have relationships with your wife. Preacher said so. Hey, ladies, have relationships with your husbands. Preacher said so. It is a good thing. But number two, sexual expression outside the marriage relationship is evil. When sexual desires are followed through outside the marriage relationship, then the parties have entered into a sinful relationship. This prohibition is not just for young people. It's for divorced people. It's for widows. For anyone who's outside of a marriage relationship. Verse 9 backs that up. Sex before marriage is sinful. It's a really interesting thought that comes out of this passage. You either develop your ability to stay faithful to your spouse before you get married, or you damage your ability to stay faithful to your spouse before you get married. You're either building up a lifestyle of faithfulness, or you're damaging a lifestyle of faithfulness. You know what that means? It means that infidelity isn't just a marriage problem. It's a singleness and dating problem too. Guys, gentlemen, you are not training yourself to be faithful by pulling up your private browsing history or your private browsing tab every single night. That is literally training you that one person is not enough. Don't practice infidelity and then expect faithfulness. In our culture today, it is completely and totally normal to have sex before marriage. Everybody else does it, we ask, why can't we? But you know what else is completely and totally normal today? To have a messed up marriage that ends in divorce. If you want what everyone else has, do what everyone else does. If you want something different, though, if you want something better, you're going to have to do something different. And have holy standards. What we need to understand. When it comes to sexual relationships between a man and a woman. God established in in his word very clearly. That it's reserved for marriage. Everyone else may have sex when they're dating. But you have a choice to make. When you're with another person. You have two options. And only two options. Option number one. To honor God together. Option number two is to choose to sin together. Those are your two options. You can either build your life on a foundation of sin or a foundation that honors God. If you want what everyone else has, do what everybody else does. But what I see that everyone else has, I don't want that. I want something better. Therefore, I have to do things that are different than what they do. Hear me, friend, today. I'm not trying to add any burden of shame on anyone. I'm not here. God didn't call me here to shame you. And if that's the reaction that you have, I promise you I apologize. But understand this sermon is for the best for you. And if this is your story, we're not above that moral bar looking down a pious nose. We won't point at you or judge you. That is not our place. I promise we will love on you. But here's my plea. Where you are today doesn't have to be where you are tomorrow. You can change it today. Today. 2 Corinthians 6.11 tells us that such were some of them. Tomorrow, you can look at today and say, I used to. I used to. Do you know any moral victory I've ever had has always come through the power of the Holy Spirit? Not because of me. Two things and I close. The choices you make today will have a lifetime of consequences parents the years between the age of 16 and 26 is the most important decade of any person's life studies have found time and time again the choices that young people make during that 10-year span will determine their destiny hear me friend parents listen we need to raise men and women that don't act like the world Our culture just says things like, well, they're teenagers. That's what they're going to do. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. We need to raise men and women that know, i got to wait till I'm married. This isn't something weird that the old preacher says at the church. This is good for me. We need to raise men and women that will honor one another and build their lives on a foundation of being faithful to God and his word things that they choose today will impact them forever and then lastly and most importantly god's grace is more powerful than anything in your past whatever you have come from whatever you have been in god can change it through his grace today the things that troubled you from your past that you identify as today you can change that identity today. but That choice is yours. God's grace is available, but you need to accept it. Would you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? After I pray, we're going to have a time of invitation. As we go through the invitation, people will come forward. Some will pray right here at the steps of this stage. and You're welcome to do so. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never accepted the gospel, I pray today that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. And if he is, I hope that you'll come. We'll take a Bible and we'll show you the gospel. And through the gospel, you can be saved. If you're here and maybe you're feeling some level of guilt or shame, Hear me, friend, you can leave that all here today and walk out of this place feeling light and free. There's no shame found when you've been washed in the blood. Hey, friend, if you just need someone to talk to, we're here for you, and I pray that you'll come. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.